Morning. My name is Eric. I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. You can follow along in the Bible or up on the screen if you don't have one or using the Bible app. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Unplug set this morning, created a little bit of a maze, sorry about that. Starting a series called Farsighted, Farsighted, and uh, this morning the message is entitled Circumstances, and uh, as was already read, we're beginning to unpack the, the first part of um, Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, and uh, recently I had the opportunity to, uh, to uh, frame something. My wife bought me a... Um, uh, piece of artwork back in 2013, and uh, we moved here about two years ago, and uh, we're still kind of going through things. It's kind of funny how that works, right? You're like, why in the world? If I haven't touched this thing in two years, maybe I should get rid of it. And uh, so we're kind of going through things and uh, unpacking certain parts of things, and, and I came across uh, this picture with a letter, and um, and the letter in there said, we're going to have to get this framed together, and so it was just kind of a something that was intended to be done literally seven years ago. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? We should do that because we'll feel good about it. And so coming up on Valentine's Day, I thought, you know what? Let's do that together. Let's get this thing framed. And so went to a, a local framer, uh, dropped it off, picked out um, the mat, the frame, all that schmazola. And uh, I go back to pick this thing up. And as I'm picking it up, I notice that the that the mat seems to be uneven, like cut uneven. Like it's straight and then it kind of bows in in the corners. And I was like, what in the world? Like what has gone wrong here? And so I just, I asked the person, I said, um, I just have a question about how this mat is cut. Is it cut by hand or is there a, a five-year-old in back that may, no, I didn't say that. I thought that, but I didn't say it. Um, but, um, and they're like, no, no, we have, a, we have a very, very nice machine that cuts all those things. I was like, well, because it's clearly crooked. And they're like, no, it's not crooked. I was like, yeah, it's pretty clearly crooked. And uh, so now I'm starting to get like a little bit worked up, if you know what I mean, you know, because then you just start thinking about the fact that this isn't free and uh, how long is this going to take to fix and what's involved in fixing it. And of course, the way that they 
frame everything. They're like super excited about the fact that the back's all sealed and all that. So I was like, how do you fix this junk when the back's all sealed? And uh, I'm thinking, I'm not paying for that and I'm not paying for you to change it. And like your mind starts going somewhere and you're like literally kind of getting worked up and the person's like, "Uh, well, let me look at it. And so they turn it around, they look at it and they're like, Oh my goodness. And I was like, yeah, right? And they're like, I, I, I don't know how that happened. That seems like impossible. Hold on, we'll get the person that cuts the mats. And I was like, okay. And so this little five-year-old comes out with a, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> An exacto knife. They're like, what? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was a person that was walking like this. And I was like, what? How do you cut straight? No, um, it was a person that came out and literally did not even look at it. Looking at me is like, what's up? And uh, I was like, well, Captain, um, this appears to be cut, cut a little crooked. And he's like, no, they're straight. And I was like, well, you're not uh, looking at it. It's, it's actually cut crooked. It bows out in the corner. He's like, no, it's straight. I was like, okay. So I'm going to throat punch you now because that's what has to happen next, evidently, to get your attention that, in fact, this is not a straight line. He goes, no, we have a machine that cuts it straight. I guarantee it's cut straight. And so now it's funny because the the person that is potentially this person's boss, I'm not sure, kind of looks at him and says, no, you need to look at it. It's definitely not straight. And he's like, if you want me to look at it, I will, but it's straight. I was like, wow, let's see you guys fight. You know, and so... so he goes, uh, yeah, I actually want you to look at this. And so he's like, all right. So he walks over, looks at it, and he's like, yeah, it's straight. And he goes, that's not straight. And he goes, yeah, it is. He goes, I don't care how it looks, it's straight. Like, I don't care how it looks. And I was like, well, being the odd person out here, I happen to care how it looks. It turns out I paid for it to look a certain way. So um, it's not straight. And he goes, all right, hold on a second. So he goes in back, and he's kind of frustrated. He comes out with a piece of paper, and he lays the piece of paper across the picture. And the minute he does that, we all realize it's cut straight. And we're like, what? By what power of Beelzebub have you done this? What magic is working on this picture? And, uh, and he goes, it's an optical illusion. And I was like, What? Because this picture has kind of these flourishes, what they're called flourishes, and they're kind of these cyclical pictures and the uh, drawings on the outside, and it actually causes an optical illusion that makes the corners of the mat look like they're cut crooked, which is infuriating because <laughs> you're like, I'm going to have to explain this to everyone that ever comes into my home. You're like, I know, it looks wrong, right? <laughs> but it's not. Hold on. See? Yeah. We hang it up there because we want it to look dumb. You know, like... I, so it was devastating, and, and so then I'm, I have this internal turmoil of, like, I'm frustrated, and have you ever kind of gotten keyed up to the point where it's like, how do I come down from this, you know? You're like, all right, I'm going to just break stuff in the yard then, or whatever. And uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, so I guess it's fine. And he's like, yeah, it's straight. And so now I'm like, no, now maybe you should be the person that I strike just for the fun of the fact that I'm anxious right now. And, um, and he's like, all right, so are we good? And the guy's like, yeah, wow, that's crazy, right? I was like, yeah, crazy. We'll go with that. So the question I have for us to contemplate as we move through the text this morning is why do we allow our current reality to have so much power? Why do we allow our current reality to have so much power. We get so keyed up, and sometimes things are not as they seem. And yet we're so worked up. 
we're so angry, we're so frustrated, only to have it proven that we're in fact completely and entirely wrong. But we can't deny the fact that we've been so worked up because our current reality has so much power. I want to submit to you the idea that we are all born nearsighted. Now, not physically. I'm not here to argue how we see physically when we're born. I'm talking about the fact that we're situationally born nearsighted. I mean our perspective, the way we consider things. We're painfully aware of that as children, right? Like their right now is their world. It's why a newborn just cries and screams and we're just left to try to figure out what exactly their nearsighted issue is. They're right now, are they hungry? No, have they, have they soiled anything? Are they tired? Should we bring it back? I don't, I don't know how to make it stop. I don't, I don't mean that we can't understand our situation. What I mean is we're painfully aware of our right now. It's why we get anxious. It's why we get excited. It's why we get depressed. It's why we get stressed out. You name it, the emotions that come are a result of our right now. And they're all responses to our perceived reality, our perceived reality. And I say perceived not to be callous because I know that you know, some of you might be sitting there in the, the darkest season of your life being like, oh, is this just my perception of my reality? I'm not trying to be callous or dismissive of your reality. I say perceived reality because quite literally, our perception becomes our reality. It's a human truth. As humans, Christian or not, and I realize that we have the full gamut in the room this morning, Christian or not, we have names for people that perceive their reality certain ways, right? They're called optimists or pessimists. Now, interestingly enough, these labels are used both as compliments and insults. Isn't that funny? Like, you can look at an optimist and be like, oh, she's an optimist. And we just, we love her because she always sees the best. She's an optimist. Or can be like, yeah, she's an optimist, right? She's delusional, right? She lives in a place where everybody rides unicorns and, and looks at rainbows and nothing ever goes wrong. Yeah, that's the optimist. Like, wait, you just liked that I always see the positive. Now I'm the villain. How about the pessimist? Mm, we appreciate her. She keeps us grounded, right? We love when you come into the room. You just help us see how it is. Or we're like, wow, you must live in a depressing place where nothing is ever possible. <laughs> the pessimist. It's funny because both would say, I'm a realist. Every person in this room would say, whether you're more towards the optimistic side or more of the pessimistic side, what you would say about yourself is, I'm a realist. And people on the opposing perception would be like, no, you're delusional, or no, you're depressing. Like, it's something literally laughable, but at the end of the day, everyone would say, I'm a realist, because what they're trying to articulate is, this is how I really see it. This is how I really see it. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. It's black and white. It is what it is. Perspective. The truth is, we're all capable of both optimism and pessimism. The other fact is, 
that both are simply reactions to our current reality. That's it. Your perspective, your optimism or your pessimism, wherever you land on that spectrum or in that moment situationally, it's simply a reaction to your current reality, our circumstances. Circumstances. So the question is, are we defined by our right now? Are you defined by your right now? Are you the summation of this moment, whatever this moment might be, whatever the next moment may be? Are you still wallowing in the pain or the joy of the past moment? It seems kind of like a scary thought that would lead to us living a, a roller coaster life of like, hey, when things are good, I'm good. When things are bad, I'm bad. And everybody else, well, they just get to reap the consequences of my current reality. When, when things are, are good, then I'm fun to be around. When things are bad, hey, don't go near her. I mean, things are rough. That's the default, nearsighted, realist way of living. That's who we are. That's humans on autopilot. My right now defines who you engage. Happy Claude or angry Claude? Flip the dice. Flip the dice? What? <laughs> Roll the dice or flip the coin, but if you flip dice, you're an idiot. I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. I'm just putting things together. But humans on autopilot, our default is nearsighted. What is right before us, realist way of living. How do we change that? Can we change that? Let's look at this morning's text for the answer. Hebrews 11 is known as the, the Hall of Faith chapter, if you will, which is fine as long as you don't lose sight of its context. If you read chapter 11 alone, you could really lean into the idea that there's this moralistic push of this hall of fame of people that we have to emulate, that we have to live like. But if you put it in the context of Hebrews as a whole, then you realize that chapter 11 comes after a repeated series of warnings. We're, we're warned about the seriousness of sin and the real consequences of those that dismiss the gospel. Then the author connects to the importance of remembering the struggle but not being defined by it. Verse 39 of last week where we concluded, I'm going to read just to kind of give us that perspective before we jump in in case you weren't here last week. Verse 39 of chapter 10 says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then goes on to Chapter 11, verse 1, in context, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is not something that can be conjured up. What I'm not saying this morning is that, listen, your current reality seems to be defining you, so just conjure up some faith. Just man up, you know? Come on, just toughen up a little bit. Conjure up the faith so you can persevere. No, perseverance is the demonstration of faith. That's what the text is saying. Is saying, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Perseverance is the demonstration of faith. It's the outflow of possessing faith. Things that are hoped for. 
and not seen. Not your current reality. Things beyond what it is you see with your eyes, what it is that you can touch with your hands, the way you feel in this moment. Maybe what even your brain is telling you is going to happen. You see, faith is not simply agreeing with God's word, but it's acting on it. It's acting on it. So listen, allowing God's word to inform our perception of our circumstances. Think about that for a second. Imagine if you had your perspective of your current reality, everything that you know, everything you can see and touch and understand, what the past is telling you, what friends are communicating. This is where you live. This is your right now. And instead of reacting to your right now, said, you know what, I'm going to look to see what it is that God's word says about my right now. Allowing God's word to inform your perception of your circumstances. Because here's the deal. Things aren't always as they seem. Sometimes even our eyes deceive us. I mean, literally this picture, you guys got to see it. It's ridiculous. The corners look like the mat is cut entirely wrong. And then the minute something's placed over the picture, you can tell it's dead straight. Remember, faith is not conjured up. It's rooted in what God has done for us in Christ. That's how we have the capacity to have faith because of the assurance of who it is that that God says he is, what he's done for us. Verse two goes on and says, for it, the people of old received their commendation. So for faith, for their faith, the people of old received their commendation. Now realize this. We look back in faith. We look back in faith concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. None of us actually saw Jesus on the cross. None of us had a conversation with the fully man, fully God Christ who walked the earth. So we have faith looking back. But the people of the Old Testament looked forward in faith that the Messiah would one day come to the earth. So the same degree that we have faith looking back, believing in what it is that Christ has done in the person work, the people of old, what this verse is saying, the people of old were having faith looking forward, believing a Messiah would come. They hoped in something yet unseen. Faith anticipates the future. Think about that. It's kind of a cool concept. Faith anticipates the future. That's what the text is saying. It's saying we can believe and have assurance and hope in this moment because we anticipate what it is that God is doing that we do not see, that we do not see, that we do not see. Gosh, I wish I could just keep moving past that stuff, but I know you guys hear it, so I have to just, like, what in the world am I saying? God's working in the midst of our moment, the midst of our difficulty, the the midst of our pain. God is doing something that we do not see. Being a person of faith means being a person that chooses to look beyond their current reality and chooses to be farsighted. Being a person of faith 
It means being a person that chooses to look beyond the current reality, beyond the nearsightedness, beyond the autopilot of humanity, and chooses to be farsighted. A realist, however you define that, every single one of us in this room is a realist by our own definition. It's a realist making a choice. Making a choice to say, I see the way it is. I understand the circumstances. I can feel it. I can touch it. I know the pain. There's, there's a history of the same exact thing happening this way, but what if God is doing something? What if God's at work? Farsightedness. Verse 4 goes on and talks about the per- first person of faith. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's interesting. As I've already mentioned, these people are sometimes called heroes of faith, and this this chapter contains a lot of moral lessons that they displayed. But make no mistake. The moral lessons are not the main point. They're not the main point. It would be so absurd to say, listen, be like Abel. Give to God what's his, and then be murdered for it. (laughs) You you love Jesus right, you're going to buy it. You know, like, you can't emulate Abel. So you have to be cautious here to, to learn the fact that these people were moral, but they lived moral lives because they walked by faith, looking to a redeemer. They're not the heroes of the story. Jesus is the hero of every story. Look, it says at the end of the verse, though he died, he still speaks. Abel left a legacy of faith. Here's the lesson. The lesson is, When we lean in to be faithful to God, it doesn't matter what the costs are. If we have a perspective beyond our current reality. How about you? What's your legacy? What are you elevating? What are you living for? What is it that you're laying everything down that that maybe even... If it cost you your life, you would still go after it. And, and I realize everyone to a person in this room, if I picked the, the simple object to the car, the house, the sports, whatever it, it might be, you'd say, well, I'm not going to lay my life down for that. It's just something I want. It's just something I'm pursuing with every day of my life, with every day of my one and only life I'm giving my life to that thing. Oh, wait, I'm laying my life down for that thing. Hang on a second. I am elevating that thing. We have to come face to face with the reality of what it is that we elevate in our lives because that defines your legacy. That defines your legacy. What are you elevating? What matters most to you? Is it informed by Jesus Christ? Or is it informed by perception of the good college, of the good grades, of the the right neighborhood, of the right vehicle, of the right promotion, of the specific job. Because here's the deal. 
We can only anticipate the future if we're willing to evaluate the present. Hmm. Well, that's way less fun, right? (laughs) Nobody wants to evaluate their present because it's way easier to be like, well, I'm going the right way. I'm sure of it. But are you evaluating that? Is your legacy really going to be where it is you want to be? The only way you can anticipate the future is if you're willing to evaluate the present. Because things aren't always as they seem. They just aren't. Scripture goes on to verse 5 and 6, and a new person is, um, is added here. Verse 5 starts off, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. It's incredible, right? He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Believe God is real and seek him. Enoch. Interesting, right? I mean, Enoch, he's kind of unexpected. It's pretty incredible. Like, the dude didn't die. There's only one other time that happens in Scripture. This is kind of an incredible concept, and it's unexpected because really very little is known about Enoch. He's only mentioned one time in Genesis. Genesis chapter 5, we'll read that real quick. Verses 21 through 24 say this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's Enoch. That's all we know. Enoch fathered Methuselah. Walked with God. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. This this guy never died. God took him up so he wouldn't experience death. It's also super confusing if you're looking to these people as people to emulate. <laughs> like, so I gotta be an Enoch. Get me a Methuselah. I'm 64. Maybe next year we fire out a kid. What do you think, Mayor? <laughs> Listen, I'm just doing it because I want to be like Enoch. <laughs> Worst pickup line ever. <laughs> How you doing? I'm 65. And all right. Anyway, I, I got to reel it in. For looking to these people to emulate, there's a lot of things that fall apart. But if that's not the author's goal, then there's something else to learn here. Enoch lived 65 years before he walked with the Lord. That's what the text says. Check this out. He was not defined by his past. He was determined to be farsighted. He drew a line in the sand at 65 years old, and from that day forward, he, sal- he surrendered his life to the Lord. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson from Enoch. It's never too late. It's never too late. Somebody could say, oh, but I've lived so much of my life already. I've done too many things wrong. I've made too many mistakes, and the author would say, look at the life of Enoch. Lived 65 years. One quarter of his life he lived. I mean, you might get hung up on like, dude was 365. Had a lot of living left. 
but he was still a third of the way into his life and he had a whole mess of reasons to say, here are all the ways that I've been unfaithful. Because at 65, I determined I would walk with the Lord and I drew near day in and day out for the remainder of my life. And as a result, he didn't even taste death. Oh, but my circumstances, Claude. The things I'm going through, you don't understand the, pa- the things I've done. Oh my goodness, the things I've done. And I get it. I understand there's, there's dark corners to everybody's life. There's closets with dark corners and, and things that are, are shameful and things that still break you on a daily basis. I want to challenge you to give those things to the Lord. They don't have to define you. It's a choice. But Enoch drew a line in the sand and said, you know what? From this day forward, I'm going to lean in and draw near to the Lord. It's not too late. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. It's not too late. If you think it's too late, you're believing a lie because the word of God says it's not too late. Verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God, Concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. If you don't know the story of Noah, the Lord told him to to build an ark because there was a flood coming in a place where there are no floods. In fact, there was no significant rain that had taken place. If you look at um, some of the scientific history, what they explain is that the firmament that surrounded the earth had actually broken and that water fell at such a consistent basis that a flood came to the earth. It's a scientific fact. No one argues whether or not there was a huge flood. So Noah is being told to build a ginormous ark to house animals and his family. Talk about something that you could find reasons not to do. (laughs) What are you doing? Oh, nothing. (laughs) That's pretty big for nothing. Oh, anyway, moving on. (laughs) Noah, you seem to be working on this day and night. Yeah, well, I can't imagine. So should you go build an ark? (laughs) Of course not. No, the the lesson here is that a person without faith accepts things simply as they are. A person without faith just looks in the natural and says, this is what's known. This is my reality. There's never been a flood. God, this makes no sense. I'm not going to do that. It's counterintuitive to not pursue what everyone around me at work is pursuing. It's counterintuitive for me to not participate in what the, the kids at school are participating in. For me to not fall into what is known, to what is before us, to what is present, to what's seen, touched, and felt. I'm going to do what makes sense to me. People of faith, they choose to remain farsighted. Because those that choose to remain nearsighted are without vision for their lives. A person without vision makes choices based on the now. 
See, if, if you have a destination, if you have an alternate reality, if you have a promise that you're pursuing, if you have faith in a vision, in a better version of your one and only life, then you'll do whatever is necessary to lean in to that vision. And if it's God honoring, all the more reason. But a person without vision for their one and only life, well, they just, they settle for what's in front of them. What's worse yet is they become defined by the people that speak vision into their lives. Because if you don't have vision, someone will give you one for your life. And it'll be a lesser one. It might even feel more. They'll, they'll start to bait you with the promotion, the more money, the things you need, the stuff you can have. They'll speak a material vision into your life and you'll start to just say, that's what I need, that's what I want, that's what I should give my one and only life for. That will define your legacy. A person without vision surrenders their lives to those that direct them. And I got to tell you, it's not always a malicious direction. It's not always malicious. There, there are loving people that if they view you lack of vision, they'll start to speak one into your life, and all of a sudden you'll wake up 10, 15, 20 years later going, how in the world am I here? This isn't where I wanted to be. This isn't what I envisioned for my one and only life. And you might push back right now and just say, you know what? That's me. And you'll say, it's too late. Unless you just heard the story of Enoch that drew a line in the sand and said, hey, it's not too late for me to draw near to God. I'm going to surrender from this day forward. I'm going to lean in and be present be present because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, having faith forward in a Messiah. <laughs> Listen, there's your circumstances. That's a reality. But then there's the activity of an invisible God. Things don't have to be as they seem. They don't have to be as they seem. God has a bigger plan. He has a greater purpose. He loves you. He has divine appointments where he's connected you even to be here today. If you're not seeking God, if you're not drawing near to him, then reorienting your perspective, it becomes an impossibility. Because you're left with only what you know, only what you've seen, only what others will speak into you. But if you're drawing near to God, the creator of all things, with a perspective that we simply do not possess, that speaks truth and hope in ways that are counterintuitive, that when he sees brokenness, he says, I see wholeness. That when we are unforgivable, he sees forgiveness. That when we're unworthy, he extends grace. He's, he's a God of things that are not as they seem. And so if we would just draw near and be allow, allow the Lord to define our current circumstances, it changes everything. We go from nearsighted to farsighted. We go from a lesser version to a new vision for our one and only lives. Here's the beauty. 
And the scary part, the choice is yours. It's your decision. You can sit and remain victimized by your current reality. And, and I realize there's some people that are like, my, my current reality is pretty good. That's fine. Wait a little while. We live in, in the world, right? We know that. That's nothing new. Whatever's good right now, a couple weeks, this quick, all of a sudden it's all coming unraveled. How is that possible? Choice is yours. We say every week that the, the text requires something from us. That it's one thing to, to come and, and hear God's word and to be inspired and laugh a little, but if, if we leave this place and do nothing with it, then quite frankly, who cares? And this morning, maybe you sat there and said, well, I know all these things. These are things that I know, and it's a good reminder to be encouraged about them, but regardless of whether they're things you already know or things that you are hearing for the first time by divine appointment, the text still requires something from us. And so the question that I want to ask you, the application question this week is this, what will I do this week to seek God more diligently? If the key and the crux of it all is drawing near to the Lord and allowing him to change the perspective of our current reality, what will I do this week to seek God more diligently? For some of you this morning, the application happens right here. It says, well, the way I seek God more diligently is to surrender my life. I need to surrender my life. I've, I've been the Lord and leader of my own life. But the fact is, Jesus came and died on a cross for you, for your sin. So that you could experience freedom. So that you could have a vision for your one and only life. And so this morning, maybe your application is to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And it could be as easy as just sitting in your seat and whispering in the quietness of your own heart, Lord, I'm a sinner. You died for me. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. For others of us, maybe we've crossed that line of faith. and Maybe we need to draw a line in the sand. Maybe we need to draw a line in the sand and say, I've lived for other things, having the full knowledge of who God is. I've still pursued lesser things, and I'm writing a legacy of materialism. I'm writing a, a legacy of, uh, of approval. I'm, le I'm leaving a legacy of things that simply do not matter. What does it look like for me to leave a legacy of faith? For others of us, to seek God more diligently means establishing a quiet time. Maybe it's just a, a morning commute or the ride on a bus or five minutes before you eat breakfast to just spend some, some time praying to the Lord and just say, God, would, would you inform my day? Would you give me your perspective? Allow it to start in a simple way. For some of you, maybe the application to seek him more diligently is to sign up for our devotionals. There's a ton of content that is not covered that, that we go through, that we compile, and that's provided through our devotionals on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And maybe that's how you establish a quiet time with the Lord is just receiving that in your email box Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I don't know what your application is this morning, but I know that the text requires something for every single one of us. Is it to take scripture and journal? Is it to speak truth 
to people in our spheres of influence to realize conversations with coworkers are actually divine appointments directed by God. That raising our kids could be something that we go through the motions of or we could realize that we're establishing a legacy of faith. It's the only thing that will matter. You know, we're all different seasons of life. God's speaking to our hearts this morning. We have to respond. If you would, just bow your heads. If you want, you can close your eyes. If you'll be distracted, the the team's going to come up to lead us in response through song. As they make their way forward, I just, (laughs) I want Eric to break the table and then... (laughs) It's easier if I just say it than we pretend that it doesn't happen, right? We could try to create, you know, perfect moments, but the reality is we're very real, and uh, this is a place where we can be ourselves, and you know, there's been some laughter this morning, and there's been some tears this morning. I want us to, to just provide some space. Say, God, what, what is it that you'd have me do? How can I seek you more diligently? You know, the preaching and teaching team, we said seek more diligently because you never get to the place where you're like, I got it. I do it. I know all this. Like, no. God wants to know us. He wants us to to carve time out of our one and only life and pursue his perspective so he could reorient our hearts and the way we view our circumstances because they really, really, truly are not as they seem. So as we consider what it is that the Lord might be speaking to us, we're going to respond in song in just a moment, but I want to just lead us in prayer as we declare ourselves available. Lord, we come before you and we just lay our lives before you, God. We have situations, some good, some not so good. And we can be optimistic about them. We can be pessimistic about them. But regardless of our perspective, you're writing a story. You're writing a story of redemption in and through our lives, our one and only lives. And God, we refuse this morning to be nearsighted. We pray, God, that you would give us a farsighted, faith-filled perspective that we would live our one and only life on purpose, filled with God-honoring vision for your glory and our joy. So we declare ourselves available.